My name is Ki Chun Song. Ki means foundation. Chun means river. Song means successful means. A few years ago, I uh, opened the uh, Chicago South 73rd Street uh, coin laundry. One day, <coughs> when I talking with some the other customer on the chair, sit down together. One African uh, uh, American uh, come front of me. He stare at me. I never smell like the bad smell. Humans, that's really, really bad smell. I cannot breathe hardly. Uh, excuse me, maybe sweat and urine or street, a lot of smells. And so I asked to him, what's your name? He said, my name's Sam. Where did you sleep last night? I sleep on the street. Why not go to the shelter? They danger. I don't want to go over there. And so I treat him looks like the other people say way. And so I try to give him a few dollars to go out of this place. And so I take out the dollars. He tell me, so I don't need money. I need your help. I heard you are Christian, and so I come here for your help. And so he take off his clothes, and he big mark scratch here, here. He, his hand is twice bigger than the other place. He hurt badly. And so when I look, that's terrible. And so he told me, I heard you are Christian. I need your help. At that time, <clears throat> suddenly Holy Spirit touched me from head to my toe, all spread my body, uh, my eyes getting red color, I moisture, and already shake. <clears throat> Who I am? Who am I? What kind of Christian I am? I just a few dollars give to him, get away from here. But he asked me, I am Christian. This really touched me. And so, <clears throat> I repent by myself, and I started to pray by myself. Oh God, please forgive me. What kind of who I am Christian? What I am doing here? Suddenly, Holy Spirit touched him, the same together. And he jumped on beside me. He started crying together. When I hold each other, I never bear smell again. The smell's gone. I don't know how can God make like that. It's a wonderful smell. Look around the flower, how beautiful God's art. They have a yellow, red, black, white, a lot of different colors. If I love red color, 
and so all world's red color only, that's make crazy. They, each color, they have their own pride, their own beauties. And don't think about color and race, anything else. I hope, I really want everybody, same surname, looks like Jesus Christ. Kichon Christ, Cassie Christ, Randy Christ, Sarah Christ, maybe same Christ. And under his surname, you are one brother and sister, one branches. That's why I want to talk to you today. I am truly humbled to just be in a part of a church community uh, where that's the depth of faith that we're hearing from, um, from this Sunday, Brother Keechin's song. And so... Uh, um, I just continually thank God for the privilege of uh, getting to pastor here. If this is your first Sunday here, we're in a series of messages. We're actually concluding this series called Skin Deep, Faith and Race in the Church. And uh, for the first two Sundays, we have been talking about the challenges or the problems of uh, racial unity. And we talked about barriers. We talked about myths. Last Sunday and this Sunday, we're moving towards solutions. Uh, What's the answer to these problems? Uh, What's the solution to these barriers? And so, uh, last week we talked about our corporate responsibility as a local congregation. This week we're going to get personal, uh, just as you heard here from Keechan's faith story. And so... I would like for us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning from the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you please turn there? Um, Those verses will also be up on uh, the screen behind me, and they're going to be also in the outlines uh, in front of you there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. The Apostle Paul writes, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This is God's word. On October the 28th, 1959, John Howard Griffin, a white journalist from Mansfield, Texas, wrote these words. It 
it was a question. He asked, if a white man became a Negro in the Deep South, what adjustments would he have to make? And that question led Griffin on a journey, on an experience based on an experiment. Through exposure to ultraviolet light, through oral medication and skin dyes, John Howard Griffin darkens his skin to the point where he passed as an African-American. Now, he said in this, while he was taking the medication and receiving the ultraviolet light, while all this was going on, he made it a point not to look at himself in the mirror until the transformation was complete. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, the transformation was total and shocking. I had expected to see myself disguised, but this was something else. I was imprisoned in the flesh of an utter stranger, an unsympathetic one with whom I felt no kinship. All traces of the John Griffin I had been were wiped from existence. He wrote, I knew now that there was no such thing as a disguised white man when the black won't rub off. And then he wrote this, I was a newly created Negro who must go out that door and live in a world unfamiliar to me. Do you know his story? The story of John Howard Griffin? He, so he started in New Orleans, and yeah, he expected prejudice, but I mean, he was shell-shocked, absolutely shell-shocked at its extent. He wrote that the N-word, I quote, leaps out with electric clarity. He can't find a job. He can't find a restroom. He tries to find a decent hotel, but the best he can get is the why. Clerks won't cash his checks, and a white bully nearly attacks him before he chases the man away. After some traumatic days in New Orleans, Griffin goes into the deep south, Mississippi, Alabama, where it's even worse. And after weeks, he becomes depressed filled with emotional despair. He takes this experiment to another level where he goes off the medication, which then lightens his skin, and then he alternates between his identities. And then he goes to the same place, first as a black man and then as a white. When he's white, he gets respect from the whites and fear from the blacks. When he's black, he gets contempt from the whites and warmth from the blacks. And Griffin concludes that you have to get into someone else's skin if you're really going to see their world. And he concludes that the races just do not understand each other at all. And then he concludes, and this is my paraphrase, not his quote. His conclusion is, We need to try harder. We need to try harder. His journal entries uh, became the book, Black Like Me, a book that I read in high school. Uh, It's a powerful read. Uh, When it was published in 1960, his experience, uh, it was just uh, aired all throughout the world, and it created quite a stir, especially in the town where he lived, Mansfield, Texas, where uh, John Howard Griffin was burned in effigy. Black like me. I, I, I'd like for you to get it and read it. 
um, it's, a, it's a staggering and sobering account. And yet, as I remember his story, as I read his story, I found myself overhearing the gospel. Yes. You see, just as John Howard Griffin put on black skin to identify with the oppressed, the gospel says that God the Son in Jesus Christ put on human flesh to identify with us. Just as John Howard Griffin put on black skin to experience the full effect of racism, Jesus Christ put on skin. And he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. The holiness of Jesus' life exposed sin for what it was. But while John Howard Griffin identified the problem of sin, his book is really a tragedy. It really is. It doesn't end on a, on a positive note. It doesn't. There's no happy ending. Griffin identified the problem, but he despaired because he found himself powerless to do anything about it. The best solution he could offer is, well, just try harder. Just try harder. How's that solution worked out in our country? But when Jesus Christ, God the Son, came in a body, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he destroyed the power of sin, and he destroyed the power of the sin of racism. And he created a new race of people. A new race from every tribe and language and people and nation. And while Griffin put on black skin, yet was left to his own strength to deal with this broken world, in the gospel, we are called as a new race in Christ to put on the skin of Christ. And while we stay in this broken world, we're not alone. We're not Jesus has promised that he would always remain with us. He has put his spirit in us. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We have received a spirit of sonship. That's why we can call our God Abba, Father. He's given his spirit. He's given us his word. He has made us into a community, a kingdom of priests. And this empowers us to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And therefore, our story is neither black like me, white like me, Latino like me, Asian like me. Rather, our story is Christ like me. Christ like me. And our question, therefore, is not... If a white man became a Negro in the Deep South, what adjustments would he have to make? Our question is this. If a white man or a black man or an Asian man or a Latino man became a Christ man, what adjustments do we need to make to win the world to Christ? That's our question. And thank God Paul gives us an answer here in the verses that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
Paul lays out the strategy that he takes and that he wants us to take on in order to live in the skin of Christ as a new race. And I want you to see, beginning in verse 9, how this is a, a first a strategy of surrender. A strategy of surrender. Just as Jesus surrendered his rights, if I belong to him, I must surrender my rights. Now that sounds contrary to how verse 19 begins, doesn't it? Surrender, but Paul says, though I am free, it belonged to no man. Yet, yet what Paul is saying is, I freely choose to become a slave. That's what he's saying. I, I, I'm a slave to you in Corinth. I'm a slave to you in Rome. I'm a slave to you in Ephesus. I am your slave, Paul says. I am your slave, but you are not my master. Jesus is. I belong to him. And Paul puts us on notice about that regarding all these categories in verses 19 to 23. Do you see all those categories there? Paul, Paul asserts he doesn't belong to any of those categories. None of them. Now, of course, Paul knows that ethnically he's Jewish. Yes, yes, yes. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Of course. Yet at the same time, in verse 20, when Paul says to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews, why, he's speaking as if he's not Jewish. Well, what is he? He's a Christ-like-me man. That's who he is. His, his heart attitude is that he's renounced a claim on his ethnic uh, education or socioeconomic status. That's not his primary identity Being a Christ like me, man, is his primary identity. And these others have been surrendered, renounced, yielded to the kingship of Jesus. Because being in Christ means that Paul is, is willing to accommodate for the sake of sharing his most precious treasure. And then this entire passage is about surrendering our rights for the sake of others. And by that I mean, church family, we retain our freedom, but we simply choose not to exercise it out of love, which is totally contrary to the American experience, where freedom means I just get to do whatever I want to do and nobody gets to tell me what to do, not biblically. Here, freedom is not thought of as a right, but as a renunciation of one's rights for the sake of another. We love our freedom, but we love our our friends and family more because we love Christ most. And Paul says he's willing to accommodate himself to whatever social and ethnic setting he finds himself in for the purpose of winning people to Jesus. More than anything else, Paul wants the gospel to be heard. And so, and so Paul will do whatever it takes short of sin. He will not become an adulterer to win the adulterers. He's going to do whatever it takes to share the gospel. And so must we. Surrender. Surrender what? What am I talking about? Well, preferences. Personal preferences. What we like. What our people group likes. Music styles, personal, cultural tastes specific to us. Maybe it's surrendering time. 
I know that we have a leadership team at church who surrenders time every Friday night to make sure that the Celebrate Recovery ministry, a ministry for those recovering from hurts and habits and hang-ups, folks have surrendered their time to meet needs with love. I know of uh, a family who is uh, contemplating relocation Surrendering, surrendering a place right now where they live, and they love it. But there's someone in their life that they love more, and they're going to surrender to meet needs with love. I read an article written by Ed Gilbreth, who encourages both ethnic majority and ethnic minorities to surrender ego and pride. Ed Gilbreth wrote, to those of the ethnic majority, you know, you have people of color on your staff or in your community, but are you seeking their ideas and perspectives? Does does your work culture reflect sensitivity to the feelings and concerns of non-white individuals? You've spoken to the minorities, but have you had them over to your home? Have you invited them to join your small group? Ed Gilbert writes to those of ethnic minority. He says, have you been keeping at an arm's distance those of white acquaintances who have attempted to get to know you better? Have you written off some as racist because of silly comments they didn't realize were offensive? Have you taken the time to educate them about your culture, answering all their probing questions about your hair care or your opinion of some minority celebrity? To those of the ethnic majority, Ed Gilbert writes back, okay, okay, you hugged and apologized to that nameless minority at an out-of-town conference. Great, but have you made any new friends across racial lines since you've returned home? And are you now more attuned to the subtle ways that society treats the ethnic majority differently? And then he goes back to the ethnic minority where he asks them, are you hanging on to unresolved bitterness against whites? Are you harboring bigotry of your own? Have you been ignoring God's command to extend grace? Are you resisting his call to become a bridge between the races because you realize that bridges, by definition, must be stepped on? I mean, these are questions about surrendering. And if you're going to put on the skin of Christ, you better prepare to surrender. Daily. Taking up your cross and following Jesus. And why? Well, Paul says to win people. To win people. This this question of surrender uh, brings to my mind the parable of the Good Samaritan. Someone wrote, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. He asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the strategy of surrender. And then there's the strategy of extension. Based on our surrendering, we extend. Just as Jesus extended himself to others, if I belong to him, I must extend myself to others. I must extend myself to those like me. 
That means taking initiative. Paul says to the Jews. So, so you reach out to your own people group. And that's why Paul reached out to those in his own heritage. And that's why for the most part when Paul entered a community, he searched for a synagogue. I mean, it would be a mistake to assume that Paul's love for his own countrymen had lessened by his allegiance to Christ. On the contrary, did he not say in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. We we don't stop loving those in our own people group. We want to reach them. And so Paul would willingly subject himself to the Jews' religious laws. And he did so knowing that participating in them had no bearing on whether or not people were saved. But he did so to win an audience so that the audience would see Christ. And by the way, when that occurs, many people of the same kind can be brought together and gathered into church communities. Bringing one's own ethnicity into the church community is necessary and it's desirable and only part of God's vision for his people. Because you see, these verses indicate that Paul was kosher with Jews and he was non-kosher with Gentiles. He wanted both in the family of God. And so he not only extended himself to those like him, he extended himself to those not like him. See, He took initiative, verse 21, to those not having the law I became as one not having the law. The word Gentile in the New Testament uh, was a catch-all phrase for Romans, Greeks, Samaritans, Ethiopians, uh, Cyrenians, Cretans, uh, Africans, Asians, multiple ethnicities that were clearly visible in cities like Corinth and Athens and Ephesus and Antioch. And so Paul is saying through these verses, yes, I'm of Jewish ethnicity, but but I'm going to walk with Arabs to lead them to Christ. I'm going to work with Africans until I find common ground. I'm going to worship with the Asians and and show them the way. I'm going to come alongside of someone of another ethnicity and find common ground. And I'm not going to demand that they buy into my non-essential preference. I'm going to love and serve and give in order to build trust. And notice in these verses here, church family, that It's not simply about ethnicities per se, but it's about one's status and one's conscience. Notice Paul says in verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, to the weak. So you see, Paul's strategy of surrender and extension took him to those who were without social power and without influence and without political status, Paul's strategy took him to the vulnerable. Paul's strategy took him to uh, the inhibited. Paul's strategy took him to the dependent. You know, Paul just didn't go after extrovert winners. The church is for introverts too. Paul stands with them. And I'm wondering what that might look like in our world. I read these verses, I read about to the weak, I became the weak, and I'm I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, who are the marginalized in our world? No, let me narrow that. Who are the marginalized at Windsor Road? No, let me narrow that. Who are the marginalized in this room right here, right now? I wonder. You know, I know enough about group dynamics 
to know that in a crowd like this, right here, right now, someone, not in the first service, in this service right here, right now, someone feels like, you know, they're, they're, on the, they're, they're an outsider. They just feel like they're, they feel like that, uh, you know, they're sitting in the C-section. You know? I mean, I wonder who that is. And I guess what I want to tell you and everybody else is that there's enough room in the A section. There's enough room in the floor section. There's enough room at the 50-yard line. Is there not? Is there not enough room at the 50-yard line for all of us? I mean, let it never be said that, that someone feels like, if someone feels like they're on the, I, this is why out in the foyer here, you know, I, I, and I, I apologize for this if you've noticed this, but okay, we go out in the foyer and we're enjoying the coffee and visiting, and I, that's what the foyer's there for. And so I'm there in my section and I'm wanting to visit and converse and pray and I'm talking with you and if, 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 chance I might glance over your shoulder or, or look around. It's not because I'm disinterested in our conversation, please, okay? It's because my radar's up. And I just want to know, I want to know, who is, I just want to know, is there's anybody here being, feeling like they're on the margin, feeling like they're on, on the outside, because I don't want that, okay? Do you want that? Then I need your help. I need your help. I need, because my radar only goes so far. But our radar is together, and we cover this place. All right? Um, there's plenty of room for all of us in the front row. There is, even this morning. <laughs> yeah, these aren't reserved seats. Anyway, really. You all know that, don't you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> One of the ways we can extend ourselves is not just by having someone on our radar, but then engaging, right? Engaging, what does that mean? That means asking questions, not interrogating, but asking questions. Tell me about your world. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your work. Tell me about your life. Trying to understand where someone's coming from. And and this would lead to offering hospitality, you know, opening our homes for, for dinner and dessert and coffee and tea. It would also involve receiving hospitality. In uh, uh, my wife and uh, I, we've had interaction with Turkish families, and in their culture, you know, it's not simply enough for us to offer hospitality. It's the receiving of hospitality that is, that is just as important as, as offering it, because if I offer hospitality and they come to my place, but I do not receive their hospitality, then a subtle message that's being conveyed is what? What, you're too good to come to my house? And it's in these settings where we get to understand people. I've got a wonderful story to tell you about my beautiful wife. Sarah 
works at Urbana Adult Education, and uh, she uh, teaches English as a second language. And just this week, um, one of her students who recently came to the U.S. Uh, came to class with, with, with no glasses. Um, this dear woman's husband is an attorney in a country in South America. And her husband uh, had just won a very important case against the bad guys in that country. And in that country, when that happens, the bad guys then put out a contract for the attorney's life. So this attorney um, was able to get his family out of the country, and they're here in the U.S., in Illinois, in Champaign, uh, Urbana, as refugees. But so quickly were they scurried out of their country and into uh, here that uh, this dear woman didn't even have her glasses, right? And she was stuck. And so... um, and I loved how Kevin put it a few weeks ago. You know, when the Holy Spirit's pushing on the accelerator, don't tap the brakes. And so the Holy Spirit started pushing on the accelerator in Sarah's life, and she did not tap the brakes. And so she got on the phone, and she called our optometrist uh, in Villa Grove. And she says, I've got this problem, and um, I need some help. And our, told him the situation, and he said, well you know I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. Um, so she was just thrilled at that. And then she called uh, our older son, Ben, who's a senior at the U of I. And um, Sarah said to Ben, you know, can you give me some Spanish phrases? Because this dear woman cannot speak English, which is why she was in Sarah's class. And so Ben was just kind of saying, well, say this to her try this phrase or try that phrase. And then Ben just kind of interrupted and said, Mom, why don't you just let me come with you? He's a Spanish major. Okay? (laughs) So here, Sarah, Ben, and this dear woman drive down to Villa Grove. And um, when the story was concluded, it was no tragedy. Uh, It's a comedy. It's a good ending. A good ending. This dear woman got frames and glasses and exam at no cost her, and uh, Sarah and Ben and uh, Dr. Leon got to finish a book titled, Christ Like Me, Christ Like Me. Now that's what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is tapping on the accelerator. Don't you put your foot on the brake at all. Um, I guess the question here is a question Are you a racist or are you a gracist? Which is it? Gracism is the positive extension of favor to people, both in spite of and because of color, class, or culture. Gracism is not affirmative action, but intentional actions of grace and affirmation. So whenever we see a racist act, instead of responding in a way that is punitive, gracism calls us to respond in the way that Jesus might respond. 
It reaches out to people in a way that desires true understanding in spite of the labels that have been attached to their skin color or cultural background. There are seven sayings of a gracist. I will lift you up, lifting up the humble. I will cover you, meaning I will protect the vulnerable from embarrassment. I will share with you, refusing to to accept special treatment if it is at the detriment of others who need it. No special treatment. I will honor you. God, as a gracist, has given greater honor to the humble. I will stand with you when the majority helps the minority. The stronger helps the weaker. It keeps us from division. It keeps us unified. I will consider you. I will consider you. And I will celebrate with you. I will celebrate with you. And, and, and lest anybody leave here with the mistaken notion that this was just Paul's personal strategy as an apostle that was not to be replicated for us today, I would just have us keep reading until we get to the conclusion of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's talking to the church at Corinth and he's talking to Windsor Road Christian Church. You follow my example. You see, what he wants, ultimately what Paul wants, he's gonna gonna become like a Jew to win the Jews so that when he wins the Jews, they'll become like him and follow his example so that they will put on the skin of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, whether strong or weak. And, And what's the ultimate goal? Paul's ultimate goal is to win. That's why he says five times in our passage, win, I want to win the Jews, to win those under the law, to win those without the law, to win the weak. I want to win people to Christ. Racial unity and racial reconciliation are for the good of people and the glory of God. And the gospel is the only way that's going to happen. The gospel Which is why verse 23 literally says, And this I do because of the gospel that I might be a joint participant. You see, the gospel at its core is about the one who identified with others for their sake. You see, our book is Christ like me. Jesus' book was sinner like me which led him to that cross to pay for our sins. He identified with us. He stood in line with sinners to be baptized. The the Holy One of God, angels angels in heaven, when they see this, when they see Jesus standing in line, they're going, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus repeats some of Israel's experiences. Forty years in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. He was tempted to put his trust in something other than God's word. He identifies with Israel. But only Jesus, only Jesus. Where, where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. And ultimately, 
our Lord identified with us by taking our place on the cross, dying our death. But by the power of God, by the power of God, he rose again. And now he comes to us. He comes to this church community and he says, I want you to do the same things. I want you to be a participant in the gospel. I want you to not only preach it and teach it and get your outlines, I want you to live it. Will you? Will you? Will you surrender? Will you extend yourself to those like you, to those not like you? Will you live for the benefit of others? Will you? It's, that's the only way. It's the only way. Someone once said, trust God enough to accept his remedy for sin. And there's only one remedy. His name is Jesus. Jesus.